My name is Pastor Kevin. If I haven't had the chance to greet you, I hope I get the opportunity this morning. Thank you for being here today. I'm excited to be able to worship Jesus uh, alongside you. And uh, wanted to start out with, with a little bit of a question for you. All right, we'll see a little pop quiz for you. Pete and repeat are in a boat. Pete falls out. Who's left? Okay, so Pete and repeat are in a boat. Pete falls out. And who's left? Repeat. Okay, so Pete and repeat are in a boat. If Pete falls out, who's left? Oh, okay. Ha ha. Funny, funny. Have you ever noticed, though, in life, how certain things need to be repeated? Like, for example, we've got five kids, and we love having kids. I met a new baby today, Justice. Uh, I like babies. I like little ones. And so, have you ever noticed with your kids, like, when it gets to that point where it's time for bedtime, you're like, hey, go brush your teeth. Parents, how many times do you have to repeat that to your kids? Hey, go brush your teeth. Hey, go get ready for bed. At least in my house, I see a couple parents chuckling. In my house, you repeat that a couple of times before the kids finally get it. Or, or perhaps maybe in your house, uh, you might hear this more than once. Hey, don't forget to take your shoes off. Hey, you forgot to take your shoes off when you came and take your shoes off. I, I hear that oftentimes. I hear sometimes when I'm driving, hey, stay in your lane. Hey, stop driving in that lane. You can't drive in the opposite lane of traffic. Stay in your lane. Some things need to be repeated. Not all the time, though, is it bad. Sometimes we need to repeat good things. You know, this is something where my wife and I, we got married uh, like 30,000 years ago. I don't know what it is. 16, 16 years ago. Imagine if I just said the day that we got married, I said, I love you. And that was it. Like that wouldn't work. She needs to hear it again and again. And I need to hear her again and again. I love you. I love you. I love you. It's an affirmation. And parents, especially you parents of, of, of with, with parents with kids, especially you. You know what your kids need to hear from you time and time and time again, especially you dads. Listen, your kids need to hear, I believe in you. You got this. I believe you have the stuff to do this. What is this? Life. Whatever it is. Parents, like you, like, like especially you dads, your kids need to hear that time and time and time again. Repeat, repeat. You got this. I believe in you. You can do this. If you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of First Peter. First Peter. Uh, we've been going through the book of First Peter the past couple of uh, uh, weeks. I think we're on week, I don't know, 12 or so. Uh, 13, something like that. And as we look at 1 Peter chapter 4, it's almost kind of like Peter is repeating himself. Because Peter is going today, he's, we're going to look at verses 12 through 19 of chapter 4. Peter's going to deal with this topic of suffering. And we think, well, well, Peter, you're repeating yourself. Like I've already, Peter, you've already talked about suffering three different times already. And now, Peter, why are you going to have to repeat? Like, can't we move on to something else, Peter? You've already told us what we need to know about suffering. Why are you repeating yourself? And it seems like he's reminding us again and again. You say, well, why does Peter bring this topic up again? And I think it's because most of us, when we look at suffering, we want to fight against suffering. We think suffering is the, the antithesis of of. of faith of Christianity. Like if I follow Jesus, then I should be able to live a life that doesn't have suffering. In fact, as we know the story of Peter, we know that here Jesus is, Jesus says, ask his disciples, his best friends, he says, who do, who, who do the people say that I am? And they say, 
Well, the disciples say, well, some people say you're a prophet. Some of you say you're a teacher. Remember, Peter, Jesus says, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Messiah. And Jesus says, on that confession, I will build my church. Remember the awesome time where Peter gets it? You know what happens right after that? Jesus says, hey, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die for you. And remember what Peter talks, tries to do? Peter tries to talk Jesus out of going to the cross. He says, Jesus, that's a dumb idea. Like, you don't need to suffer. There's got to be another way. There's no way I'm going to allow this to happen. Peter tried to talk Jesus out of the cross. And isn't that what we want to do in our lives? Like, we look at suffering, we think, I don't want suffering. And so what do we do? We begin to build our bank account, thinking if I just have enough money, then I can pay to make sure I don't have any bad things in my life. Or we begin to look at relationships around us and say, well, I'm not going to invest in any new relationships because I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to open myself up to allow someone to hurt me. We kind of insulate ourselves against suffering. In fact, there are factions of Christianity that would say, hey, listen, if you are a Christian, if, if, if Jesus is raised from the dead, if Jesus is victorious over evil, over Satan, over death, over hell, then we shouldn't struggle. And there are factions of Christianity that say, you should have your best life now. But I don't know about you, but that's not been my story. In fact, as I look at my story and I try and follow after Jesus, no matter how hard I try, it's kind of like that bumper sticker. Maybe you've seen that bumper sticker that rings, dung happens. Like maybe you've seen that. You know, where, where you seek to live a godly life and you seek to do things the right way. And it seems like no matter what you do, like you suffer health uh, problem after health problem. You look around at other people, people who abuse their bodies, and it's like, man, how come they don't go through the same things I'm going through? Or you, you, you go to your work, and you're the guy that follows all the procedures, that tries to do things right, and your boss still blames you for problems that are completely out of your control. And then you look around, and there's the guy who doesn't follow the company procedures, who lies about his performance, and he's the guy that gets praised and promoted. Or you look in your life and you say, man, I'm going to invest my life into somebody. And I'm going to pour into them in hopes that they can get their life turned around. And you invest all this hour and all this time into these people. And it seems like they turn against you. And they malign you behind your back. See, this is what life looks like. We're, when we try to do things right, sometimes it almost seems like things are out against us. And even though we're trying to live right, it seems like we still have suffering in our lives. We begin to wonder, well, maybe, maybe because I've got this hard thing in my life right now, maybe I'm out of the will of God. Like, I'm not living right for God, and that's why I've got this hardship. Or maybe, maybe because I'm in this hard season of life and I'm suffering, maybe there's like some secret, hid, secret sin in my life, and I need to bring that sin out and not let it be hidden and confess it. Or even worse, maybe we get to the point where we're trying to live the, the life that we're supposed to live and we continue to suffer. We begin to think, man, maybe this God thing doesn't really work. And this is why Peter wants to repeat what he's talked about, about suffering. Because this is something that we need to be reminded of. Because there's two types of knowledge. There's a, there's a head knowledge where this is what we theologically know to be true. And there's also this heart knowledge that we feel it and we believe it and we embrace it. And Peter understands we need both of these things. 
We need to have this head knowledge that, yes, God is always in control. And yes, God is always with me, even in the hard times. We also need to be, have this heart knowledge. And he repeats it to make sure we've got it in both of these places. Repeating this idea that suffering is sometimes a part of the will of God. And in those times of suffering, we're put in those seasons so that we can trust ourselves to God in those times of hardship. And so Peter's going to repeat this message that we've heard before. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we read 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. If you are able to stand. Um, if you don't have a Bible, the verses will be on the screen behind me. Or if you have a phone or iPad, you can welcome to pull it up there too. And here's what Peter writes to us today. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let, no, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. If it begins with us, what will the outcome? What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what shall become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That is God's word for us today. Would you pray with me? God, I want to thank you for just this chance to open up your word. And God, deal with these topics that we need to hear again and again and again. Because whether we come in here today and we're going through a hard time, going through a hard season, whether we've had a hard season in the past that has left us questioning where we are and what we believe, whether we have people around us going through hard times, God, I pray that you would take this word and give us insight. That you would speak to us. That you would draw us to a deeper love of you. That you would meet us in our time of need. In our time of desperation. That you'd help us to understand how suffering works according to your will. God, I pray that you would allow your presence to be on every one of us in here today. That you would speak to us. That we walk out of here with a next step. With a thing we need to do. In order to continue to know you and to make you known. God, and I plead for your presence now, Jesus, in your holy and precious name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. And I love how Peter starts this out. He says, beloved, he said, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon to test you. Don't be surprised as though something strange were happening to you. He's saying, listen, when you face hardship, don't be surprised. Don't think something strange has happened. You don't be ashamed. Again, that takes this idea that if we're a Christian, we're supposed to have our best life now. Here, Peter is saying something very different. He's saying, listen, don't be surprised if you go through hard seasons. And what Peter is going to do is he's going to connect two ideas. He's going to connect the idea of suffering and glory and say, these things relate to one another. We'll say, well, I don't, I don't get how suffering and glory fit together. Like, that, like those two things don't make sense. 
But I want you to see Jesus can. Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. Here's Jesus, the night he's being betrayed, the, the day before he's going to be crucified. And he connects these two ideas about suffering and glory. He knew that eternal glory would be established only by his suffering on the cross. So as Jesus is preparing to go to the cross, he's not surprised. He's not thinking it's strange. The hour came and Jesus embraced his suffering instead of being ashamed of it or trying to avoid it. In fact, in this text, Peter three times connects the idea of suffering and glory together. In verse 13, he says, But insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Verse 14, he says, If you were insulted for the name of Christ... You are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. And verse 14, he says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God. You see these two things connected again and again and again. Suffering and glory. That out of our suffering, out of the adversity that comes from our life, comes glory. Like how many of you have seen this in your life? Like through a hard season, like God does something major. God does something beautiful in your life out of the mess. In fact, you see this, you see this all throughout the Bible. Where, where you look at times of glory, you look at times of prosperity, of success. And often it comes on the heels of suffering and hardship and adversity and difficulty. Thinking about Jacob. Jacob of the Old Testament, Genesis. Jacob, I always look at this guy and I think, man, what a, what a bad guy. Like, he was a conniving man. Like, he would manipulate situations to try and take advantage of other people around him. We know the story with, with, with his brother Esau, how he stole the birthright from, from, from Esau. And he's just, you kind of see this in his life again and again and again. And eventually things catch up to him. Eventually things catch up to him, where, where it's been 20 years since he tricked his brother out of his birthright. And his brother, he's, gonna, he's in the process of being reunited with his brother. And he hears, hey, your brother's coming and he's got, uh, he's got a couple hundred men with him. And so Jacob thinks, man, it's all coming to a head right now. Like all this stuff I've done, man, I'm going to pay for it now. So remember what Jacob does is he leaves his family, his wives and his kids and all his belongings on one side of the river. And he goes off by himself. He's thinking, you know what, maybe if I get by myself, maybe my brother will come and kill me and not kill my wife and my kids. So you see Jacob on the side of the river all by himself with nothing but a rock for his pillow. He's in this hour of poverty. Like almost seeming like God is gone, like God is absent. You remember that thing, that night? That's the night that he really found God. He wrestled with God and said, God, I'm going to refuse to let go of you. I'm refusing to let go of you until you bless me, until your presence is in my life. 
the next morning he walked out as a transformed man. Because he went through that adversity, that suffering, that brokenness. You see this again and again. You think about Abraham. Abraham, you look at where his success came from. He'd probably point back to Mount Moriah when he was supposed to sacrifice his son. You look at Joseph. Where was Joseph's success? Where did that come from? Joseph would look at all of his success as being the number two in command in Egypt. He'd point back to that time in that dungeon. Moses. Moses would put, put, point back. All of his success, he'd point back again to the 40 years of hiding in the desert. Peter. Paul. Excuse me. Paul. Paul who wrote a third of the New Testament. Who wrote a third of Bible. He'd point back to attribute his inspiration to the light which struck him blind on the road to Damascus. You see, out of the hardship, out of the suffering, out of the adversity, God brings beauty and glory and greatness. Listen, what's the difficult thing in your life? What's the difficult trial? The circumstance. We've all had them. And sometimes what happens is we come out of it and it's kind of like a chip on our shoulder. We want to play the victim. We want to play, well, I was wronged, and I, I, this wasn't fair. And, and we, we come through, and we're struggling through it. Listen, that is the very thing that God uses, and God redeems to bring glory. And maybe for you today, maybe this is what you need to hear. Is that you're going to allow God to take your suffering, to take your hardship, your adversity, your difficult situation, and to bring glory out of it. Maybe that's what you need to walk out here today. Say, God, I've been through it. God, I've carried this. And I've allowed this to continue to affect me. But today, God, I'm going to open myself up to you. Say, God, would you take this and would you bring glory out of it? Would you bring beauty out of it? See, this idea of suffering is not something we should hide from. In fact, this, this text right here, Peter's going to give us four things that hard times do in the life of a Christian. As a Christian, when we go through hard times, there's four things that we're going to walk away from and say, this is what God does. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, this is what God does in our life through hard times. Number one, hard times develop our character. Look what Paul says, in, or Peter says in verse 12. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. He says, beloved. I love this word, beloved. This isn't just a throwaway generic term. This is actually a key to understanding what Peter is saying. Peter is saying, listen, beloved, you are deeply loved by God. God loves you deeply and profoundly. Do you know this? You've got to understand this. Because hard times, it's hard for us to remember that, that we are beloved by God during those hard times. We go through those difficult seasons and we're, we're, we, we forget how much we are loved by God. And, and here's Peter saying, listen, you are beloved. You are beloved. Don't be surprised. You're still loved by God. He says these things, these trials, these hard times, they are a test to you. To, to show what you're learning. To showing that you're getting it. To show that Christ is enough. In fact, I think about this. I think my... My son has been taking driver's education. And so he's getting close to getting his license. 
I am so glad that there is a final test for him to get his license before we just gave him the keys to the car. Uh, And aren't you all thankful that there's a test as well? Like, you've got to be able to show, hey, I'm learning. I understand this. I, I get it. And this is, this is kind of what happens in trials. They're, they're meant to show that we are developing in our character, that we're developing in what God is doing in us. In fact, I listened to a podcast this, uh, this last week, and it was talking about Tony Dungy. Now, I know today's kickoff day for football season, so I figured I'd give you a football reference just to make all you gentlemen happy here today. Tony Dungy is a Christian football, was a Christian football coach. Now he's a commentator. A great coach. He led some great teams, and his best team was the 2005 Indianapolis Colts. Okay, they didn't win the Super Bowl, but they're probably the best team that he coached. 2005 season, uh, November, I believe it was November. Let me look at my date here. Uh, 2005, I don't know how the date. Middle of that season, his son, 18 years old, committed suicide. And here's Tony Dungy thinking, you know what? I've been in this business for 30 years. I've been a player. I've been a coach. I've reached great success. And here his son commits suicide. Begins to reprioritize. Begins to think, you know what? Maybe I should retire. Like I've earned enough money. Like I've done this long enough. I've put in the long hours. Maybe it's time for me to retire. And then he began to think about this. He said, you know what? I've been a Christian coach. People have known about my faith. And this is a time that they're going to say, you've been through this hard season. And in the good times, you claim to love God. In the good times, you claim that, that God was with you, that God led you, that God helped you through those. Do you really believe that? Like now that you go through a hard season, a difficult time over the loss of your son. And you know, he decided, he decided, I'm going to stay in this. I'm going to stick in this coaching game. Came back and you know the story. 2006, they won the Super Bowl. Because he wanted to show everybody, listen, my faith in God isn't dependent on my circumstance. My faith is in God itself, no matter what happens around me. In fact, it's my faith in God that got me through this difficult season with my son. See, one of the things that we've said during this series in 1 Peter, we said in the second week, that trials and pain, they expose where your hope is. When you go through a hard time, it shows Do you truly believe what God says about you? Do you truly stand and believe that God is worthy no matter what? Chuck Swindle, pastor, theologian, he said this. He said, if we view life as a schoolroom and God as the instructor, it should come as no surprise when we encounter pop quizzes and periodic examinations. He says, maturity in the Christian life is measured by our ability to withstand the tests that come our way without having them shake our foundation or throw us into an emotional tailspin. Isn't that good? Those hard times are sent there to develop our character, to give us the ability to say, listen, God, I do believe, and I am going to stand on you and trust you in the good times and the bad. Second things that hard times do in the life of a Christian, is they bring us closer to God. He says in verse 13, But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. 
If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You see, when we go through a hard time, when something bad happens, when we get that phone call, when we get that that report from the doctor, the first question oftentimes we have is why? Like, where's God? As we look at what's happening in our country right now, facing the hurricanes and the, the fires and the tremendous things, the question is, where's God? God's left us. But this isn't the case. In fact, Peter is claiming that during hard times, that these are unique times when God's smile and God's approval are especially on us. Because if you hear what he said, verse 14, he said, when you share in Christ's sufferings, when we suffer for our faith, that we experience an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that we will rejoice when we see Christ. See, suffering joins us together with Christ in a way that no, nothing else can. In fact, I have a little illustration for you. Go ahead and throw that first slide up there, Dawson. See, this is what life looks like. There's us and there's Christ. And the question is, how do we get closer to Christ? And we have lots of answers, right? Well, we can read the Bible. We can pray. We can go to church. We can listen to sermons. We can give money to the offering. We can go serve the body of Christ. We can, um, come on, what are some of the other things we can do? We can use our spiritual gifts. We can join small groups. And we can do all these things, right? If I'm just going to be honest, like, like what I found is even when I do all those things, like this is where I end up. I'm a little bit closer. Going, I'm a little bit closer, but I'm not, I'm not where I want to be. I'm not like right there with Christ. And I can be doing all these things, but it just seems like I'm not there yet. What Peter is trying to say is when you go through hard times, that, that those are the times you grow the closest to Christ. Not that suffering itself is what causes us to grow, to go, grow closer to Christ, but what it does in us and to us. In fact, I was thinking about this as, as, as little kids when they're learning to walk. It's fun watching little kids learn to walk because they're still figuring it out. And sometimes it's fun to watch them fall. Uh, not all the time because sometimes they fall and they get hurt. And they cry. And what happens with a little kid when, they're, when they fall and they get hurt? What do they do? They start crying. And where do they turn? Mom and dad. They run. Mommy, daddy, I'm crying. I'm hurt. I, I, I. Hard times, when we fall flat on our face, when we get knocked down again and again and again, those are the times that we lay aside our pride. And out of sheer desperation, we cry out to God to say, God, I need you. Just like that little kid cries out to mom and dad, Mom, dad, I've fallen. I'm hurt. I need you. In fact, many of you know that famous poem, The Footprints in the Sand. Well, you know, the, the poem where there's two sets of footprints and eventually there becomes one set of footprints. And the guy says, God, where were you? I was going through this hard season. I was going through a hard time. And God, where were you? And that's when God says, no. No, it's not that you were on your own. It's that I carried you through that. See, God allows us to go through hard times so our life begins to look like this, where we become right with Christ. Listen, I don't know what is going on in your life, but I want this to be an encouragement to someone today. That even though you might feel forsaken, you might feel all alone, that if you could just see behind the curtain 
if you could pull the veil off your eyes, that the presence of Christ is, is resting you in a very special way when you're going through those hard seasons. And those hard times are meant to deepen our, our, our love for Christ and draw us closer to Him. Third thing the hard times do in our lives. Hard times lead to self-examination. Okay? Verse 15, Peter, Peter writes, it says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. You see, sometimes we suffer from God. And sometimes we suffer because we're stupid. It's just straight up. Sometimes we're just stupid. We do stupid things and we suffer. The idea is if you do wrong, you can expect to suffer. I mean, how many of you have had this story in your life where you do something stupid and then you suffer for it? Yeah, most of us can probably raise our hand and say, I've been there once or twice or three times in the last week, and I've been there and done that. Notice the categories that Peter gives us. He says, as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, like those things seem to fit together. Like, I get that. But the fourth thing that he says is, is a meddler. Like, those three things go together, murderer and thief and evildoer. But a, a meddler? Like, how does that fit in together? See, a meddler is a, is a busybody who inserts himself into the affairs of other people around him. We're going to say, well, how do these, these four things relate? Well, let me ask you this. Which of those four categories do you struggle with the most? Is it murder? Is it being a thief? Is it being an evildoer? Or is it being a gossip? Is it being a meddler? Is it inserting yourself into a situation and, and a story that has nothing to do with you? I mean, most of us, we come to church and we stop murdering. Most of us. We stop thieving. We stop evildoing. But man, there's meddlers in every church. People that are on their phone, they're writing emails about things that have nothing to do with them. They make things worse because they're talking about them, they're gossiping about them. Because somehow it makes them feel better. Maybe this is a conviction for you. Maybe this is why nobody wants to be friends with you. Because maybe you're a meddler. And insert yourself in judgments into situations that you have no place to belong. Sometimes we suffer because we do stupid things. And here's what he says in verse 16. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian... Again, here's where the self-examination comes from. Why are you suffering? Are you suffering because you've done something stupid? Are you suffering for your faith? He says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Listen, Peter knows very personally about this idea, about being ashamed of Christ and suffering for that. Because if you remember that dark night when Jesus was arrested, he prayed that prayer and said, God, the time has now come for you to glorify your son by sending me to the cross. And then Jesus is arrested. And remember, Peter kind of follows, follows Jesus around. He follows him to the trial to figure out what's going to happen. And remember, Jesus is, or Peter's hanging around. And the young girl looks at Peter and says, hey, Peter, you're, you're one of his disciples. You're one of the followers. Remember what Peter does? Denies him. I don't, I don't know him. I, I'm not one of his followers. Three times he denies Christ before the rooster crows. Peter knows all about that sense of shame because I don't think he ever forgot the night that he denied Jesus. 
And now, after all these years of remembering that time that he experienced that shame for denying Christ, now he's writing to us to say, listen, don't do anything to dishonor the name of Jesus. He says, if you are worthy to suffer for his name, praise God, and don't be ashamed because of that. And he says, after that, he says, verse 17, he says, for it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Peter's given us some really sound theology right there. He says, judgment begins at the household of God. Judgment begins with God's children. And those hard times, they begin to cause us some self-examination as to why am I, am I suffering because I'm being stupid? Or am I suffering because I'm being faithful? It causes us to begin to process through. And, and it forces us to decide where we stand. It's going to force us to decide what we believe. Am I going to be ashamed of Christ and hide? Or am I going to be vocal for Christ and stand? Because what happens is we experience this judgment, and God uses that to prune us, to, to change us, to shape us, to be like him. In fact, I remember uh, when we were growing up, nobody in my family has a green thumb. Right? Like, nobody has a green thumb. Like, I can keep my grass somewhat green, but you know what my arch nemesis is? Crabgrass. I hate that stuff. Like, I can't seem to get rid of crabgrass no matter what I do. So we, we, we never had a green thumb growing up. And we had this rose bush at my house uh, when we were young. And this rose bush, man, like it was, it was this huge thing, and we thought that was great. We thought rose bushes being big was a good thing, you know. So this rose bush, it was as tall as I was, and it would produce like two or three flowers a year. I remember our neighbor came over and said, hey, you guys, you guys don't really do gardening very much, do you? And we're like, how could you tell, you know? And he says, hey, would you mind if I just pruned your, pruned your rose bush? We're like, oh, yeah, that sounds like, well, like, we've heard about pruning. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And he takes that rose bush, and he starts cutting it down and cutting it down and cutting it down. And he cuts it down, and it's like a foot off the ground. We're like, dude, you butchered it. Like, you butchered it, man. Like, like we were hoping just for a little off the top, but you give it a buzz cut, man. Like, it's like a quarter of the size it once was. You know what happened the next year? That rose bush produced more roses than it had ever produced since we lived in that house. Because it had to be pruned. had to be cut back. had to be shaped. And this is what happens with us. That God allows evildoers in our life to bring suffering. God allows those people to turn up the heat in our life to prune us. To purify us. To prepare us for abundance and glory and beauty in the future. So he says, judgment starts with us, but there's good news because judgment does not end with us. Verse 18, he says, what will become of the ungodly and of the sinner? The idea is those people are going to be in big trouble, right? I mean, it's been said that as a Christian, the, the closest thing to hell that you're going to ever experience is this earth. Like, that's good news. Like, we go through this earth, sometimes there's some hard things that we go through. Listen, that's the worst we're going to face. That's good news. But listen, for a non-believer, so for somebody who isn't a Christian, the closest thing to heaven they're going to experience is this earth as well. Because there is a judgment coming. 
that I don't want to think about because of how drastic and how dire it is going to be. And right now, it might seem to be the case, like people can take God's grace and God's patience for granted. But there's a day coming that God's patience is going to run out. And those non-believers are going to face eternal torment. And it's not going to be pretty. Listen, if you are not a Christian, you realize today the breath in your lungs that that is a grace and a gift from God. That God has decided to hold back judgment, to have patience so that you can run to the cross, for you to step over that line to place your faith and place your life in Jesus Christ. That you would trust Jesus as your Savior, that you would turn from your sin, and that you would build your identity on Him, because there's going to be one day that His patience comes to an end. we've talked about Hebrews, is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, there's the judgment. Suffering should lead to some amount of self-examination. Where am I at? Where do I believe? Why am I suffering? And here, Peter is going to build to a crescendo, because here's the key thing we need to understand. Verse, verse 19. He says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Fourth thing that hard times teach a Christian is they teach us to trust ourselves to God. They teach us to trust ourselves to God. This is the, 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 the key point from the entire passage. The one thing you need to hear when, as, as we walk away today. That suffering in your life in hard times does not mean that God has abandoned you. does not mean that God is mad at you. But suffering comes in as God's will so that we would learn to, to fully trust, to fully dedicate our lives to our faithful creator. And so many times it seems like when we're going through hard times, so many times it seems like there's circumstances around us, and there's hard times, and, and people are, are being difficult, and it seems like there's bullets flying all around us. What do we normally do? We try and pick up ammunition to go fire back. We go through those hard times, and we think, man, if I can just fire back and have more ammunition, then things will work out. See, what I found in my life, when I'm going through hard times, there's really not many circumstances I can change. I really don't have much ability to change those circumstances around me. Like there's no magic prayer that I can do that would make any illness go away. I mean, there's not like I could wave my hands and have money put in the bank. There's no way that I can magically make people begin to like me and to treat me right. I can't necessarily change my circumstances, but you know what we can do? We can learn to do exactly that. To entrust our souls to our faithful creator. Where instead of praying and saying, God, help me change things around me, we begin to pray and say, God, I've been trying to make things better, but I've only been able to make it worse. So God, would you take over now? God, would you be in charge? I want your will in my life, God. Have you ever done that? You ever prayed that prayer? 
Say, God, I've been trying to blaze my destiny. I've been trying to make things happen, and it's just not working. So, God, today I just open myself up to you. Listen, I don't know who it is in here today facing that enormous personal difficulty where it's hard to see clearly what God is doing in the way forward. Listen, when life is tumbling all around you, there is nothing more important for you than to commit yourself to God, to your faithful creator who loves you and promises to take care of you. That you would just pray that prayer and say, God, I've been trying to figure out how to solve these problems on my own, but God, I can't do it without you. Your will be done today, God, whatever it takes, whatever it costs. There's nothing I'm holding back, God. All of it is yours. I'm yours today, God. See, when we pray like that, God hears that prayer. And regardless of whether or not our circumstances change, our hearts do. Our hearts change. And this is where we're trying to say as we bring this to a close, what does this all mean for us? That we need to understand that suffering is a part of the will of God. And it's meant to teach us to commit ourselves to Him in times of hardship. That we would allow the will of God to play out. Listen, the only way it happens, the only way that we do this, is it comes down to love. That we will never believe that God is in control unless we believe that he loves us with an everlasting love. We will never be able to, to trust ourselves to him unless we know, unless we believe both theologically and in our heart, man, God loves me. God has promised to never leave me nor forsake me. And I might be going through this hard crap right now. I may be going through this hard time, but I know who he is. I know he has promised me. I know what he said about me. And I believe that. We have to believe that God loves us with an everlasting love. Listen, we will never be convinced of that love unless we fix our eyes on the cross of Christ. And the sacrifice that he made for us. Because Christ's suffering on the cross, it brings us glory. It brings us eternity. It brings us a happy ending. And as we fix our eyes on the cross, we start there. You know what happens is our troubles come into proper focus. Because what God did for Jesus, he can do for us. In fact, somebody once said, adversity is the diamond dust that heaven polishes its jewels with. Adversity is a diamond dust that God uses to polish his jewels with. You know whose jewels are? You and I. And God brings that adversity to help us grow deeper in love with him. To know him deeper, to make him known to those around us. Listen, if you're going to, in a hard time today, Coming in saying, you should know, you, you should only hear what I've been through. Listen, I want you to be encouraged. You are not alone. God has not abandoned with you. He is with you more than you will ever know. If you just trust yourself to him. As we said earlier, maybe you've been through the hard time in the past. Maybe you've held some bitterness. You've held this victim mentality. Listen, today's the day you need to give that to God. 
and allow God to bring glory out of your suffering. Maybe in here today, maybe there's people around you who are in that season of hardship, of hard times, of difficulty. And maybe just as Peter has reminded us that God hasn't left us, God hasn't abandoned us, that we are his beloved, maybe you need to remind that person of who God is, of how he leads through hard times, of how his grace and his love and his presence is magnified during those hard times if we just stop and look and open ourselves up to him.